Los Angeles is hard to get right. Maybe because traditional public space has been largely occupied by the quasi-private space of moving vehicles. It's elusive, just beyond the reach of an image. It's not a city that spread outward from a center as motorized transportation supplanted walking, but a series of villages that grew together, linked from the beginning by railways and then motor roads. The villages became neighborhoods and their boundaries blurred, but they remained separate provinces, joined together primarily by mutual hostility and a mutual disdain for the city's historic center. Maybe that's why the movies turn their back on their city of origin, almost from the beginning. They claim to come from Hollywood, not from Los Angeles. Although the first Southern California studios weren't even in Hollywood, but in another suburb with an even more idyllic name, Edendale, just north of Echo Park Lake, where Jake Giddies would spy on Hollis Mulray in Chinatown. Welcome back to the After Hours feed. If you're hearing this, thank you for your money. No, uh, you'll probably hear this for free. I mean, this is going to be one of the last bonus episodes before we unlock them all. But I feel like this is a proper venue to discuss a very one-of-a-kind film. You know, Ryan had brought up a potential movie to play, uh, to pair with it based on title alone. And this film, uh, that film does get a little play in this one. L.A. plays itself, the notorious uh, artful gay porno film. But... It is the one-of-a-kind essay film by Tom Anderson that we're talking about on the After Hours feed today. Los Angeles plays itself. Ryan, uh, why were you inclined to bring this one onto the pod? Sure. Well, I was actually deciding between this and another evocation of a city and, and, its, and its history in, in uh, A Brighter Summer Day because we all saw it together uh, at the Earl, which was a, a great screening and one of my very favorite films. Uh, but I decided might as well do Los Angeles plays itself. I mean, like, I, it's it's a film that uh, I've seen, I've seen twice, and both of them were at sort of very savvy moments. I, it was the, I think the second to last, or maybe the last film I saw before I left Seattle, uh, moved away from Seattle, and it was the last film I saw uh, before I moved temporarily, as it turns out, away from Los Angeles uh, mm-hmm. last year. And so, it, so, I don't know, there's a certain sentimental nature I have with it, but it's also, I think, one of honestly might be my favorite documentary or it's certainly you know top five it sounds sounds yeah. it's it's still a documentary as as uh an an essay film and in a similar fashion uh in, in a certain way to los angeles plays itself uh but it's just it's a film that um los angeles plays itself is just a film that has just grown for me each time i've seen it and i've frequently just watched clips and just watched snippets because it's both i think one of the most astute films about maybe the most astute film about film and and about location and about what it means to live in a city uh and it's also incredibly hilarious it, yeah. it's it just there's it's a great it's just a perfect script and just the the way it's structured how it uses its duration to just get more and more insight and get more and more sort of just just more and more accumulation of stuff and just of of statements some of which are just incredibly insightful incredibly daring and others which are perfectly cantankerous and and mm. not necessarily open for a debate because the film doesn't necessarily present them as such but it's it's more <laughs> just how how 
multivalent the film is. I, I just felt it would be a, a perfect bonus episode. Yeah, I feel like if there's a thesis to this film, it's that you can't formulate a thesis yeah. <laughs> yeah. about Los Angeles on film. It's such a multifaceted thing. Even each of these segments, you know, the city has a background, the city is a character, and the city as a subject, each of them don't really have their own thesis. It's more, and it's not scattershot either. It, it, the way that Anderson scripts and edits this together, I feel like just weaves so many ideas from one to the next almost like a great conversationalist does where there's transitions that are almost loose but when you watch it a second time you could kind of see the seeds for the next conversation you're going to have with Anderson and of course with the actual voice of the film uh, NK King who does the narration for this I for a long time I always thought it was Anderson's voice oh. and then I saw him in an interview yeah. and I was like oh that's how he talks yeah. <laughs> thank uh, god yeah. they got that other guy yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I've been in a, a like uh, actually a conversation circle with Anderson I nice. actually didn't realize it was him at the time but <laughs> i saw uh the older cooler film in my room behind him at acropolis cinema in echo park film center and and he was wearing a unknown pleasures t-shirt nice <laughs> yeah and yeah and you, you can actually the joy see division him. album or the jaj and Kuh film <laughs> no joy division <laughs> no uh, uh but you can you can actually see him act in the the la like second last scene of strobe class relations and it's oh, interesting really? seeing him yeah. just this sort of like slightly reedy voice yeah <laughs> it's just it's but no the 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 actual enka king's voice is 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 perfect yeah. it's just so it's so gravelly it's so like slightly disdainful but also yeah. very mm. compassionate and very and very and, and very passionate about the about the city it, yeah. it I can't imagine with any other voice. It's, really. it, it has, his voice has the verve of someone, you know, someone with experience, someone that, you yeah. know, who's a regular to everything that's being shown here. It's like everything, you know, like when he's almost like kind of giving information, like something like the crew signs or whatever he's explaining or whatever. And like how there's like these yellow crew signs all across Los Angeles directing mm -hmm. people to like film sets or whatever. And like there's kind of a there's a drollness to like like you know it's this is not something that's overemphasized but it's just like you know it's like let me let me explain this to you because you know you don't know but i i know like let me break it down to you a little bit and uh yeah i i, I do enjoy kind of like the timber of the the narration I, I i like when it goes funny and kind of cantankerous it obviously leans into that strength too but it's well, that's know. what I was going to argue, almost the opposite, that, yeah. like, it's all dependent on the material. His voice can just, like, stay in the same tone and yeah. delivery style that's for true. the mm -hmm. most compassionate and insightful uh, and political readings, as well as when he says that, you know, things like uh, silly geography makes for silly movies, <laughs> yeah. and that's just the setup to a punchline of Charles Bronson and Death Wish 4 blowing a guy up with a grenade launcher. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, and I feel like, it, yeah, it's all dependent on context. And this guy True. is such a, like, I don't know. It, it's a trap you fall into with more detached narrators where they will shift their voice into compassionate mode mm -hmm. or insightful mode or funny mode. And this guy really stays at the same kind of cadence, vocal tone and intonations and whatnot throughout mm -hmm. the whole thing. And it's like what Anderson is writing and the images that are being shown make you think that he's changing his tones almost. <laughs> and if you just yeah. listen to the movie, it's not. Yeah, I guess it's like, I, maybe I'm viewing this and it's like, I don't, I don't know, it's almost like a uh, just kicking like common knowledge to you in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even if it's not necessarily common knowledge, but it's like, 
I don't know. It's kind of presented in a way. It's like he's having to explain this to you in a in a sense. But uh, I mean, I, I think that's that's a fair thing. You know, it is a long documentary. Although like such an enjoyable one, I don't really feel the length. But mm-hmm. it is like it is long, and it is like kind of operating in this same kind of mode with the narration. It's uh, I don't know. It's something that should be noted. I was surprised that the Cinema Guild Blu-ray actually has an option: play part one, play part two, mm-hmm. as well as scene selection because. I mean, there is an intermission, obviously, but it really does just zip by. Yeah. Like, it's such a well-paced film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like... It's it's just such a, a great, like, vibe or quality because it's, like, academic but casual. It's, like, mm-hmm. clearly coming from a place of, like, great knowledge about, like, film and the city of Los Angeles, but in a manner that's just, uh, I don't know, so playful and, like, obviously, like not hiding from the very personal perspective in it. Mm-hmm. Like not like his experience of Los Angeles is not being presented as necessarily definitive. One of the early things that he says about film versus reality. Uh, and, and there's kind of two like throwing down the gauntlet type statements that he lays down here. One about, you know, noticing real locations in film and uh the difference between that and reality is that they exist in space we live and die in time and i I think the phrase live and die in time also of course evokes to live and die in la one of the films Mm -hmm. that he uses quite a few clips from uh time of course we mentioned michael mann time (laughs) is luck he uses Mm -hmm. heat quite a bit in this film as well and i think that being like those different planes of existence being defined such as that is a very vague and almost open to interpretation thing which is like then the setup for another almost vague and open to interpretation uh statement which is that if we can find you know narrative and i'll paraphrase here because i didn't write down the quote but if we can find you know, narrative and excitement in documentary, then we should be able to find documentary relevations in fiction films. Mm -hmm. And I think that, if anything, is the thesis of the movie, if you Mm -hmm. can sum it up in one statement, because once it gets into uh, the, the last part, the city as a subject, and really the second half of city as a subject, and he really gets into the nitty gritty about the reality of water in LA versus how Chinatown presented it, mm-hmm. and the reality of race relations in LA versus, you know, uh, not just like mainstream perception of it, but also pairing it with LA rebellion filmmakers, mm-hmm. and then that leading to uh, the the class divide that really uh, anchors this whole film, you know, a city of the rich and the poor, and how he defines over clips of Billy Woodbury's "Bless Their Little Hearts" that you know the struggles presented in cinema uh, and, and in reality of let's say a black family at the time, despite the media saying how black families are falling apart, is really just that of working class families. And uh, ending on that clip of. Uh, the character in Billy Woodbury's film driving by what used to be a factory and making the analogy to how you can take a tour of a movie factory uh, of a studio stage is just like what what a poetic and really like indicative kind of way to end this in terms of his pretty bitter viewing of what (laughs) film has done in terms of representation versus reality and how we kind of perceive our own city. It is a very like definitive perspective of like movies. They show people in the Hills, they show, you know, people by the coast or whatever. And like kind of the failure to show kind of the reality of like 
actual working people, you know, living in like middle of Los Angeles, Eastern Los Angeles, you know, some of the, you know, uh, less quote unquote, less glamorous places is like a huge failure of like the film industry, but just like kind of like, I don't know, almost like every industry as a whole or whatever. Like in terms of like the details, it is like, that's, that's like, that's where a lot of the fun is had for me or whatever. It is, since it is an essay film, it is like spurring off a lot of like personal opinion and stuff like that. And like when he goes into like which architects have been treated mm-hmm. more yeah. fairly in certain movies or whatever, or like what it, what it says about like, I don't know, we always have villains in like kind of like these posh kind of like modern architecture style homes and like what that does. So it's very focused on like the messages that film gives us and like how it kind of contrasts with like the actual reality. And, you know, it. you're right. It does come to some pretty harsh conclusions, but like, I don't saying that just kind of like, you know, as a whole or whatever, it's like, I don't know, like, or just that statement kind of like alone, that statement needs support. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that statement alone is not very satisfactory to me. Like that's almost sounds like, you know, something, I don't know, anyone who just picked up a, a book maybe, you know, a couple of years ago could, could formulate to, but like, that's the, what's great is all the support and like kind of the different reasons Anderson kind of weaves in to give this, you know, to support his opinion. And like, I mean, in terms of like, he gets at like the failure of like representation mm-hmm. in the class divide, but also just like really compelling ways like the movie industry has like shaped and like destroyed like working class like mm-hmm. environments. Like, what's the um, what's the district that he talks about like being shown? Um, Bunker Hill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, and it changed entirely. Like that, just I don't know. That's so powerful, and I feel like that comes like a great deal before like his uh his bigger thing yeah his, end, his yeah. bigger point yeah on thursday i actually watched the exiles which is one of the films shown prominently and it's actually the one that they use as the intermission <laughs> he just uses a brief snatch a clip as the intermission and yeah that like yeah among other things i think this is one of the great political films and like in in large part because it's using this medium as as a tool of criticism and as a tool of being able to evoke and show like with this with this mound of evidence that he's gotten so like the bunker hill sequence especially it gets at it shows this evolution of a space and evolution of some of a place that's being torn down in front of the camera's lens and it has that really even more so it's just like how it is able to it uses these disparate sources some well known like kiss me deadly others like less known like the exiles which I think I think it's gone more of a reappraisal, but was hard to see for mm-hmm. for quite a while. Another thing I love, um, I don't know if the Exiles reflects that specifically, but is that it also serves as a sort of time capsule of of um, like home video and and how and how clips how certain things can can have a can like you, you see so, sort of old VHS strips, but now um, now watching it. 15 years later we have we have blu-rays like detour i think is a it wasn't restored at the time and so you have you have a old older sort of beat up looking copy and now we have it and uh somehow we have it (laughs) a a restoration of detour so it's interesting seeing those sort of like it serves as a time capsule and if i'm not mistaken he for the cinema guild release he did sort of 
not necessarily re-edit the film, but like when like you replace some sources. Yeah, because I have seen an earlier version of the film. I this was actually again we we keep talking about when we first get into movies, but this was like (laughs) the first big documentary I Mm -hmm. took down that I was really anticipating, and uh, it was on Netflix for decades almost. (laughs) It felt like a at least a decade, (laughs) and uh, it was so many of the so many of the source clips were in standard def or vhs quality and some of those vhs's have gone to dvd some of those dvds have been upgraded to full hd for the cinema guild release of the film and i i think that that really does tell a story of home video and accessibility and canonization you see two films side by side released in the same year one looks perfectly crisp (laughs) hd one of them you can't see shit yeah uh, and, and i like how deep he digs in just the depths of the classic Hollywood system and the oddities that come out of it. You know, something like Bathing Beauty is a film that I <laughs> always forget exists until I watch this film again. And I, I, I've watched this film three times, and each time was about three or four years apart. And yeah. I, I noted this in my letterboxed capsule, but uh, it's actually the only thing I said in my letterboxed capsule. <laughs> but uh, every time I watch this, I've seen more of the films that mm-hmm. are included, and I understand more of the cultural critique. And I feel like it's a film that, as it grows older, and maybe we'll get more updates with more uh, home video releases being upgraded and whatnot, it grows along with the viewers. And the theses only become more true over time. Uh, Something like the LAPD representation over the last few years, of course, has only become more piercing. Uh, the the long detour he takes around Dragnet, I think, is fucking yeah, absolutely yeah. fascinating. Yeah. First, he uses L.A. Confidential as like a way in, mm-hmm. and actually, he really uh, he foreshadows this very heavy early in the film when he's talking about the Bradbury Building, mm-hmm. uh, which is a great segment to kind of reel in viewers because everyone's seen Blade Runner yeah. or everyone's seen the end of Five Hundred Days of Summer. <laughs> I wonder if I wonder if he'll do two point and include that one, but <laughs> <laughs> that would get some real disdain from him. I'm sure but uh you might like the smiths you know you might be be. it's true uh but the the end of the bradbury building segment uh you know after introducing it as something that was built with the intention of like futuristic socialist architecture Mm -hmm. and the most democratic building you could possibly make is then the office of LAPD internal uh, affairs. Yeah. And it's one of the great moments where it's a setup punchline kind of setup, yeah. but the punchline is pure visual. He doesn't even mm-hmm. say it. He just says where it is now. And then you just get a great shot just moving in at the door of <laughs> LAPD IA. And then later on, of course, uh, LA Confidential is kind of his way in to a history of police representation and also that representation allowing a longer leash for police brutality and just a general fascistic state of LAPD. Uh, He also introduces that phrase early on when he talks about Mike Hammer and just very casually (laughs) calls him a fascist. (laughs) uh, I I feel like it takes almost an hour and a half for a viewer who's unknown uh, or uh, an unsuspecting viewer to really get a grip on the politics of this film. But I love how over the first half, he's kind of just tossing out grenades like (laughs) once in a while calling a guy a fascist just yeah. stuff like that i mean another great aspect of this movie is like i think i think someone's mentioned this you know while talking about it but it like the sources in which he'll draw you know he'll go death wish for he'll have like you know the deep cuts you know the billy woodbury and stuff like that and it is like 
even you know because like a good uh, for this movie to be good i feel like you do you do have to go through a wide range of sources you know it piques interest but it's just like you know get your get your watch lists ready you know what i mean it's like for you know a movie that kind of comes out against the side of like kind of the whole industry and like you know the some of the decisions it's made it's like he's putting you on to some 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 interesting yeah. movies that you might want to watch yeah. you know, I mean, later down the line i think just like the sheer level of knowledge like relays into like the compulsive nature of like cinephilia i think that's like for yeah. sure present there yeah uh first looking back uh like the just to mention go back to the ending like it, i think it is one of the most moving endings i've ever seen mm-hmm. because it just perfectly gets that sort of sort of sadness or that that melancholy and that like sense of an active resistance or struggle against this against like the uh, homogenization or like a uh, sort of theme parkization of uh of los angeles um and also when in terms of that uh like we live and die in time i love that like the the very next line is so why should i be generous <laughs> and it, it's just this like and, and then like that's at the beginning of this uh long long excavation of of films so, like it, it's just this really interesting thing and back to that shot of um of of the Los Angeles like IA department sign, I think the the secret MVP of the film is in a film like that's comprised of so many varying levels of of clips, presumably like like digital clips, like they're like the sort of like the actual images that are taken, and they're they're shot by Deborah Stratman, who's a a great experimental filmmaker in her own right. The her film The Illinois Parables is really really good. I really need to rewatch it uh, from 2016. Um and like the sort of graininess, the like the the graininess especially in that I think it's mostly used in that first half, but yeah. the graininess of of the images it provides this really interesting corrective or this really interesting other side of showing LA unadorned in a certain way um but also like with this rich texture this rich sense of of uh, of the image that's i think really key to especially this first half when it's otherwise so dominated by these hollywoodized images yeah the images they shoot for this are on film in academy ratio which is ironic considering that he makes a big deal about how it's not a vertical city (laughs) and almost every film he uses from past like 1980 or so is in scope like all the 90s all of the 90s crime films he uses are in scope Mm -hmm. and it is a horizontal city it's built for cinema scope we just didn't know it yet you know (laughs) Uh, but I, i think that's a great kind of push and pull because obviously for however many decades there was only one aspect ratio Mm -hmm. and so that is like so much of the footage we see like max senate you know making use of the echo park lake getting drained (laughs) uh which is such a great thing and then later you see this monument to max senate that's just like in some random dude's front yard like a (laughs) fence was built around it and i I feel like that image that they shoot of max senate's memorial like a little it's not his gravesite or whatever, but it's like a little memorial for him mm-hmm. that's just in some guy's front yard really speaks to the relationship between housing for the public, not public housing as he demonstrates is non-existent in LA, but housing that's open to the public and the film industry and how one kind of just gets right in the fucking way of the other as demonstrated also in Bunker Hill, not being a real neighborhood anymore. Edenville or Edendale, rather, mm-hmm. not being a real neighborhood anymore, all just making way for quote-unquote progress, of course. And, um, yeah, just to kind of 
go off on a bunch of my favorite parts, I yeah. guess. Uh, the destruction of L.A. When he talks about the the apocalyptic, you know, nightmares of L.A., that's like the Adam Curtis 9-11 yeah. montage. Like, that is right. on yeah. that same level yeah. for me. It is so good. My favorite stupid fucking joke in this movie that always kills me is, it should be called the Hollywood Walk of Shame. Well, <laughs> 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 also the juxtaposition of putting like fucking uh, Ronald Reagan and Edward Demetric together really yeah. that that hurt me. <laughs> that, uh, we got to talk, Tom. That that really hurt. <laughs> Demetric was a persecuted man. <laughs> Another part that really gets me, like in adjacent to that Hollywood destruction, is when he uses the clip of Paris being destroyed in Armageddon, oh, yes. and yeah. and he says, "Are are, are the are the Fr- like something like are the French being hated on because they love Jerry Lewis too much?" Like, yeah, he's gonna be laughed so hard. Yeah, he, yeah. Just, he just throws in all these things, and, like he like puts that within spitting distance of like this this incredible and I think perfect exegesis on 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 rebel without a cause as a musical which is like what's what's so great about it is like it 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 lends this like soundstage sort of element to these real locations he uses the shot from uh terminator where he's walking out of the griffith observatory too which like an hour and a half later rhymes when he uses the griffith observatory stuff from rebel without a cause calling it a musical yeah absolutely Mm. uh and i do have to say that this has like some of my favorite line readings in all yeah. cinema it just has uh just like as we said like the the sort of match of these of the voice with with this uh with these words is just so so great like the like the one like with the lapd when he's talking about how they put their their uh their motto in quotes yeah. it's like <laughs> are they trying to be ironic <laughs> yeah and like actually, I think the only time and this always gets me or like always like sort of jolts me is th- that the voice sort of changes is during that dragnet thing yeah. where after he talks about all this you know the the like blatantly uh like pro cop and fascist sort of nature of it, and then he says actually i love i do love dragnet and then, yeah, it's just like, <laughs> like let's get the record straight yeah. i'm a fan first yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, i love how also he uh declares jack webb's sturdy direction as to the level of ozu and yeah. brisson oh, yeah, yeah. made me want to watch dragnet yeah, I, yeah. Like, I've been he was going arm into mode yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i've been meaning to watch it for ages because of of that i mean look it looks great yeah, <laughs> yeah no it looks great and it's in hd somewhere so it's i i'm pretty sure dragnet is on tubi but i feel like that's an old <laughs> that might be an old rip of it and not the the most up-to-date um to like this thinking of like the narration and just like when it kind of takes you know me out of it you know you mentioning his voice changing with dragnet or whatever it is like when he's giving the example it's like we have a suicidal cop blank cop a pussy whipped cop (laughs) when he said pussy whipped i fucking lost all three times i've watched that that just shook me yeah i know it's 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 he plays that scene out so long too like he lets the whole bit build and everything it's so funny like there's the one with uh dennis hopper where he says like he's like like a horny cop a slave to his dick (laughs) even a horny cop (laughs) also everything that he shows that's only available in vhs looks so good like that dennis hopper one looks awesome Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when he's talking about modernist modernist architecture, he brings in a clip from a very erotic looking yeah. film called Ooh. A Passion to Kill, yeah. where uh, he like really talks about how you know well the architecture is infused and everything. And then I pull it up on Letterbox, and it has like a one point three or yeah. something like that. Like <laughs> everyone hates this yeah. thing, but of course this is Tom Anderson's view of the world in cinema, you know. And it 
it, I really want to watch that one now. <laughs> well, he says like the director allows the architecture to upstage the action. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he says that just during a yeah. sex scene. Like yeah. that's all yeah. he'll show yeah. us from I, that is yeah. the sex. Scene. I think that's the one that's immediately. The uh, like it's the Ennis house, and like it's immediately after the Blade Runner. Yeah. Uh, like the use of like uh, for Deckard's apartment, Blade Runner. <laughs> He's like <laughs> actually my favorite one is, is yeah. this. <laughs> my favorite use of this. An- another thing that I like is kind of like his distinguish of like. Um, you know, kind of like a low Taurus versus a high Taurus, oh, so oh, and yeah. uh, uh, you know him kind of uh, you know showing out Hitchcock and uh, uh, <laughs> I guess I don't know he doesn't say this, but Eastwood also has this tendency, yeah, yeah. loving the Central Coast of California <laughs> or whatever, and how like you know filmmakers like uh, someone who he seems to give con- consistent props to is Antonioni for yeah. uh, Zabriskie Point, you know, a movie I haven't seen yet, unfortunately, but uh. Uh, I I don't know like th- just these kind of rules he's establishing and kind of mm-hmm. that's like and like kind of like the random opinions along the way you know that keeps things interesting but yeah. it's like sometimes with like these I don't know a film that's more academic it's 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 refreshing to see someone who's you know purely you know going his own way you know what I mean knows the canons or whatever but is mm-hmm. like he's this is a man who's made his own mental path through years and years of movie watching or whatever. And I think that's, that's one of the, like the, the big joys of cinephilia is kind of creating like your own way of thinking about movies, idiosyncratic ways that are like really only, you know, beholden to you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And kind of like, and what's, what's makes a great, you know, academic critic, et cetera, you know, people writing or talking about film is like getting other people to care or like kind of see from that perspective or whatever. And I think he does, a great job with that through you know just various clips he uses and the narration it's it's really all you know combined in a, a nice package to where you're on that light wavelength going back to the modernist architecture stuff i i really like just the very basic compare and contrast setup of that mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like it's just each architect gets their due how they're portrayed positively and negatively kind of and i love the the scene of the the lautner house getting torn down from lethal weapon oh. 2 because i also really want to know if he knows that that became a mission in grand theft auto 4 uh, i don't know if anyone here has played grand theft auto 4 but there is a great mission where you do that and the house looks exactly like that and you have to do it with a pickup truck <laughs> But yeah, Malcolm, what you were saying about him establishing his own rules is just like, these are not the rules that every viewer of the film is going to have. And I feel mm-hmm. like maybe some viewers are really attached to their own rules and yeah. might, you know, think that it's absurd that he finds a literalist film to equal a good film. Yeah. Uh, but I, I just think that's part of the pleasure. I love cheating locations. I mm-hmm. love all that kind of shit. But I think seeing the world in cinema through his very literalist and culturally critical and political eyes is just it's it's a sight to behold it's a it's someone who knows their own point of view and knows that they can make a three-hour movie about their own point of view on this thing that we all feel so deeply passionate about and Mm -hmm. above all that's really why i love this film is like it's as personal of a film as you can possibly yeah. make, mm-hmm. even if it's about the world of film around you and not your own narrative. Uh, it's it's just such an achievement in that mm-hmm. regard. 
like watching it, you almost have to sort of reconcile your taste with his. Yeah. Because I, I think he actually wrote about it for Cinemascope or somewhere else. Like like people specifically mentioned that he didn't really talk about Heat or or Mulholland Drive. Like he uses a few clips. Like he talks about how De Niro says the the Saint Vincent Thomas Bridge. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but like and like he he uh, like in the piece like he he says he doesn't like particularly like either film. Like obviously those are two of my favorite films and two of my favorite. LA films but like it's just like it's like you sort of have to reconcile it but it also like it just makes sense it like yeah. makes sense why he would mm. um, I mean I, need, I still need to see uh, the original Gone 60 Seconds with, like, which looks it's amazing awesome. yeah it's I wouldn't say it's a great film but it's a great chase film yeah. it's like the, mm-hmm. yeah. the chase sequences are awesome yeah, it's he South also, Bay film it's, yeah. a, it's a huge South Bay like topography film and it's also <laughs> filled with so many funny characters that he doesn't talk about because that's the thing that kind of contra and what I love about the film is that it can be contradicted because yeah. he mm-hmm. has such a focused view so when he compares it to what Ziga Vertov was going for <laughs> for an anti-humanist <laughs> film uh, it's like you can't quite say that because there is so much character in that film. There's a biker gang that rolls up that is unlike any biker gang I've ever seen in a movie and they're filled with so much character, but I guess it is a pessimistic view of those guys because they're just there to fuck with our main character, mm-hmm. our main driver character. And yeah, I don't know. Uh, enough can't be said on this as such just a monument to cinephilia, politics, living in a city, mm-hmm. etc. Yeah, I mean, I think this is a masterpiece. And I think like a lot of what Malcolm was saying earlier in terms of him talking about perspective and uh, the way foreign directors see uh, Los Angeles as opposed to uh, ones from the States. I don't know. The joy of movies for me, to some respect, is opening up myself to new perspectives and new ways of thinking. And this movie, like, tackles that head on and is, like, not as overt about how personal the movie is, but it just bleeds through at every uh, every step of the way. Ryan, any final thoughts on this one? Yeah, it, I mean, I agree. It's a masterpiece. It's, it, <laughs> like... I love that it's able to somehow shoehorn in a a a, cl- a clip of Andrew Dice Clay giving his number. <laughs> like oh it's my god! Five five five. And <laughs> the woman says, "Hey, that's not a real number. Like, what do you think this is? Real life?" <laughs> I mean, it's just like, you know, he he's not afraid to go for that sort of obvious or I mean, it's both obvious and that it's expressing a very particular sentiment about <laughs> about Hollywood and about this sort of dream factory, but it's also not obvious because this. It's not a very well-known film, The Adventures of Ford Far- Fairlane. Yeah, uh, like it, it has obviously. That's also the one where uh, Dice gives his Eastwood. Uh, his Eastwood. Uh, yeah. <laughs> there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of strange things that happen in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> there's like there's like a sorry to interrupt, but no, there's no. like a scene where like Dice Clay sees like some pussy like rock act like in the studio trying to workshop his vocals. And like he's like like his one of the big tenets of his characters. He fucking loves rock and roll, and like knows that he could be a big star, even though the industry won't have it. And he and like you get this musical sequence of like just Dice Clay just killing a rock and roll number, and it's like one of the most <laughs> masturbatory things you could ever yeah. think of. But it's like you know this is Dice Clay's movie. You know what I mean? I don't I don't want him to not follow his whims. So yeah. 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 Now, is that a Rennie Harlan film? That is a Rennie Harlan oh, wow. film. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. That, that makes sense. That... <laughs> the mogul himself. <laughs> if there's one director that you can say is a rock star and makes rock star movies, it's Rennie Harlan. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's a. Uh, going back to Los Angeles phase itself, it's just. It's, 
I mean, we didn't even talk about how it's like his infamous insistence on Los Angeles and how it how <laughs> oh my my favorite line reading the whole film when when he's talking about uh about like how he sort of understands how it might be a way to inoculate yourself against Hollywood but it still makes me cringe. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's maybe that's maybe the greatest line reading in cinema. It's it's perfect. I mean, yeah, the it's just filled with so much. It it somehow makes a reading of Double Indemnity seem fresh and 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 novel and and such a a great encapsulation of of what like even though it's not necessarily a film I love, it's it's like it it's an interesting like it gives another lens. It gives another lens to so many films and then it's able to bring it all back together for this LA rebellion conclusion and to and to just express all of the the feeling that's that's just right there it's just you can he's he's not necessarily willing to let himself express it in a way that you might normally expect but it just the pairing the pairing of image the pairing of voice and and what the voice is being said it's it's sublime yeah I just want a real quick shout out a big RIP in the credits because this film couldn't be made without Eddie Brandt's Saturday matinee, which is just down the street. Well, the former location was just down the street. Rest in peace to Eddie Brandt's Saturday matinee. When I was first getting into movies, uh, I actually went there quite a bit. I, I don't know why I was so obsessed with just like driving all around all the time. And so like instead of just torrenting movies, I would just go to Eddie Brandt's Saturday matinee and get sometimes just like VCD rips, like awful fucking quality <laughs> movies once in a while. Like I saw Todd Solon's happiness from there and it was like literally a CD with a VHS rip on it. And I'm like, I could have gotten an HD version of this. <laughs> uh, I, I think the community of that and just like the the world of cinema that was in a tiny little shack in North Hollywood uh, just feels like a good symbol for the world of cinema that's in the tiny little, uh, well, comparatively gigantic brain of Tom Anderson. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it is such a great kind of, yeah, it's a testament to cinephilia itself. And I can't give a movie a higher compliment than that when it's like a meta text yeah. like this uh yeah it, it's as good as it gets for this kind of thing malcolm let's, anything signing off yeah tom let's get another one of these like let's <laughs> to be honest, like, like it's 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 you know it's a very fun format you know what i mean like just kind of i like this kind of you know somewhat you know video essay style kind of format and it's i'm, I'm sure i know he has other movies you know doing you know um kind of tackling other subjects maybe using this style but it's like you know there's you mentioned the gta thing you know where we need the updated package you know what i mean <laughs> den of thieves i can't really think of any other movies oh, dude I, yeah. I wonder what he would think of den of thieves because there is like there's south bay indicators but there's also a lot of clearly they shot this in atlanta yeah, type exactly. stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, i remember some people were like hyping it as a south bay movie when it came out and then i saw it and i was like this is mainly atlanta like, this, is, <laughs> this doesn't look like los angeles at all uh but also it just has the spirit of los angeles yeah. and the dingy south bay crime scene and i oh, god dead of thieves rocks maybe maybe we do dead of thieves before we wrap it up here but uh anyway we will see you next week for the final episode of the extended clip after hours feed goodbye together